Welcome to Alive and Kickin' presents This Week in the 90s. Yes, we're back again and on today's show we'll be talking about Borough Heartache for Joel. Uh, we're talking about Arm Breaks for Steve Morrow and Heart Aches for Roy Keane and Paul Scholes in Turin. All that and loads more, probably 80s pop, some drunken shenanigans over the weekend and the best goal you don't remember from the 1990s as well. All that and loads more to come on This Week in the 90s. This is John Harks, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Remember, keep it 90s. Thank you very much, John Harks, and that his name will pop up again in due course. Two names that always pop up here on this week in the 90s are my two cohorts, um, who have been on some, another nice weekend of frolics over, up and down the country while I've been building a little tyke's house for my sister's birthday. I know what I'd rather be doing, really, honestly. Um, firstly, he is a social media mogul. Um, he's a Borough fan, so yeah, we're going to talk depressingly for him tonight. Um, he's my friend and yours. Joel Young, you've been in Glasgow and you're fully recovered now? I went to Glasgow, yeah. I ended up on a train full of Mil- uh, Millwall. I knew I was going to say Millwall. Motherwell fans. Oh. Apologies to uh, Motherwell fans. When they just win the... Um, where they just won, got through to the oh, cup of final, yes, and then have, I was there yeah. just as Celtic dished out a good old uh, hide into Rangers. So I was kind of feeling quite fortunate that I'm ginger, really. Yeah, <laughs> and but... I was escaping uh, Glasgow as that was going on. So yeah, it's been it's been quite nuts. I think my uh, I think my blood content is is now above my alcohol content, and I should be all right. Oh, that, that's that's good to hear. Uh, Motherwell Mill, don't get them fans mixed up. I don't think yeah, either, no, either no. are going to be pleased, are they? Um, and talking of Rangers, it's all gone a bit bonkers over there. I've seen some tweets about Kenny Miller and stuff, but that's far too modern. Um, that does remind me, though, a couple of people have said we should do a Scottish episode, which we will do at some point, and talk Celtic, Rangers, and everyone else in the 90s. So I'll put that in the in the pile of, of, of to-do list, and, and we'll do that at some point. Uh, joining me and Joel, of course, he's somebody else who's been out and about this weekend. Do karaoke, nonetheless, in Liverpool. He is a uh, journalist and writer for mainly The Sportsman, some great stuff uh, he's done this week. We retweeted it, especially on the Man United kick debacle, which we talked about here on last week's show. Matthew Christ, how are you feeling? You're not so hungover, are you? No, well, doesn't it make a change for it not to be me that's uh, <laughs> one, struggling one of these with the weeks terrible anger? Be me. Yeah. And uh, talking of uh, Celtic and Rangers, keeping it topical, guess who's driven uh, Rangers manager Graham Murty's car? <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't me. Well, it wasn't me either. So yeah, driver, <laughs> no, to, driver to the stars needs to be in your intro for next week. I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. I drove. Stars I, stars I, I drove his. Matthew I drove his uh, BMW Five Series about. Ten, I don't know, ten, fifteen years ago. So yeah. there. Who was he playing for at the time? He, he was playing for Reading at the time. Oh, Reading. And uh, he, I drove his car, and they accused me of. Scratching the paintwork. So uh, did you scratch yeah. the paintwork? No, I didn't. But I blamed somebody else. So uh, you know, I got <laughs> I got away with it. And now he's uh, now he's up in Glasgow and hundreds of miles away. I can say, yeah, it was me. But, uh, <laughs> it, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't. He was a lovely fella. But um, no, I didn't scratch it. But somebody did, and it wasn't me. Matthew, who's the most random person's car you've ever driven? Uh. I mean, Graham Murphy's pretty random. Graham Graham is pretty random. Um, probably, probably Keith Chegwin, I'd have to say. <laughs> oh, bless him. <laughs> or, or Kenny Lynch. Oh, one of those two. Oh, Lynchy. Yeah, 
Kenny Lynch uh, BMW 7 Series, I think it was. One of those classic old 7 Series. Purple, I seem to remember. Dark blue, purple. Like, I don't understand. Like, you know, we're going we're gonna to go back even further now. But Kenny Lynch's career, and he still turns up on things now. And he's got an OBE, Kenny Lynch. I just don't really understand why. Well, being, if you're a TV man, I'm surprised, yeah, uh, that's I'm your, surprised that's your, your paths have never, never crossed. What, with Kenny Lynch? No, I've never, yeah. never had anything to do with him. There is the, have I mentioned this, the most remarkable piece of television of all time ever? Um, from the 1980s. Sorry to do this to you. Go um, on. But if you just go up and look for Punchline's Christmas Special, 1982, it's one of the most horrifying bits of television you'll ever see. In the first two minutes, Freddie Starr comes on dressed up as Hitler. If you oh. want to go and have more gobsmacking bad television that you can't believe got on, go on and look on YouTube. It's on there. Punchlines, Christmas special, 1982. Freddie Star dressed as Hitler isn't the worst thing. Oh God, yeah. Well, there's something to do once you've listened to this, of course. Um, if you want to keep it 80s with Freddie Star. Oh, that's the first Freddie Star I think we've ever had on here. Um, but that's way, wing our way back to the 1990s. Um, I'm sorry going to do this to you, Joel, but we're going to kick off with that season that we've talked about many times on here, but I don't think we kind of covered the replayers as much as we covered. Def- no, we haven't because today was the first time since actually being at Hillsborough for the Coca-Cola Cup final replay against Leicester City, Middlesbrough and Leicester. Uh, it's the first time I've actually watched the highlights ever. Really? I made yeah. you. I made you do that. I made you watch the yeah. highlights. I'm very sorry. Um, well, to, to be honest, it wasn't it wasn't a great game. I, I don't think replays ever are. If you think of cup final replays, especially for this decade, the, the 91 wasn't as good. I don't think the 93 was as good, um, the FA Cup replays. But replays, you know, they've been abolished now, but they weren't ever as good. Um, this was on the 16th of April, 1997. Um, it was played at Hillsborough, um, which I don't... I mean, it always seems odd that the, maybe Wembley was... I couldn't find a reason why it was played at Hillsborough and not played at Wembley, but maybe there was a previous engagement at Wembley that week because um, it was played, I think it was three days, was it Was it, was it the three days after or was it a week or so after? I can't. No, it was, it was ten days after. Ten days after. we had the Chesterfield game. Oh, maybe that's had something to do with it, yeah. Yeah, we had, we, had the, we had the Leicester, we had the Cup final on the Sunday, then we had the, the FA Cup semi on the Sunday after, then we had the replay, which is, you know... Our fixture list was absolutely insane. I mean, my overriding memory of this game, apart from us losing it, was my friend Natalie losing her ticket on the gate and, and crying at the turnstile and still being let in. Oh. <laughs> Which, you know, I don't want to cry reverse sexism or anything, but if I'd have cried on the gate, they wouldn't have let me in. <laughs> they sent you down a pub. <laughs> exactly. in, fairness, in, in fairness, weren't there only about 15,000 people there that night? I think, no, that was the, the other game. This one was sold out. The, the game oh, against Chesterfield was a poor attendance. I think. Oh, that was the really, yes. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. everybody had run out of money. But um, going back and watching, I mean, it wasn't a good game and they weren't, I think you can see how knackered Borough were. But what I was impressed with in this game was, and if these are words you don't normally hate together, but Ravenelli's work rate. I thought wow. it was... I thought he was really on it because, like, all he normally did was sort of stand about. He'd, he'd score a couple of goals a game, then he'd shout at Micklebeck a few times a game, and then he'd stand with his hands on his hips looking exasperated. But I thought, going back and watching the highlights of this, his work rate was really up there. He was battling, and and, and I think, you know, when, when there was the opportunity to win something, Ravenelli really wanted to win something. It was just, you know, he absolutely couldn't do it on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke. But, you know, if there was a bit of silverware up for grabs, then he was there. Um, a warm spring really? night in Sheffield was different. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it was just... 
I mean, we we knew we were doomed when Heskey had scored the equaliser in the replay, but um, it was just... I thought that both teams looked ragged going back and watching it today, and I thought the real difference between the sides was that... Um, Leicester had Casey Keller in goal and we had Ben Roberts. Yeah, I was going to ask you and, that because was that just due to rotation? Because like you say, you had such a heavy fixture list. What happened to no, Schwartz? No, Schwartz had got injured. We bought, mm. the, we bought him and Fester in about January or February. We bought them both like pretty much in the same week. And I think if we'd have got those two three months earlier, we probably would have stayed up that year because just the two of them were so much better than than what we had. Um, so Janino, uh, sorry, I've just seen Janino in my notes. Um, <laughs> of course, so you make notes. Was, um, <laughs> was uh, uh, just was injured and was out for a lot of the run. I think uh, a lot of the running, he wasn't there. He wasn't there in the FA Cup final, and he wasn't there. Um, he hadn't been there in the semi-final the week before. I think he played in the in the cup final, but no, he was injured, and, and kind of that was the end of that. Which, you know, and Ben Roberts, bless him, just he just looked unsure all the way through this. Whereas um, Keller, on I think he was tested twice, but the rest of the time was just mopping everything up. You know, um, but there you go. It was it was one of them. You made a couple. I was looking uh, at the two lineups from the two games because obviously you said you had that game in between, but. Kinder came in as well for Curtis Fleming, uh, and, yeah. I, and I think I mean, Mikkel two, Beck didn't two full-backs, start. Yeah, full-back, full-backs not known for their defensive mm. prowess. Really. And Kinder had been sent off. Uh, obviously, we talked about it last week, the week before. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, it was just, it was just one of them. We were knackered. It, 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 Leicester looked so organised compared to us, and we were still sort of playing fantasy football. It was very, very, very peculiar, but. Mm. Uh, there you go. You know, it was the one thing that I do remember as well after this about this. He's a strange bit of trivia for you. Is the guy that plays Roy Cropper on Coronation Street? I forgot his name <laughs> off the top of my head. But Neil, he, Nielsen, David Nielsen, is it? David Nielsen, that's his name. Yeah. Go he, on. He, he went through. That was very good. That man. Yeah, ten points. He went to through a phase of referring to this game like so. If ever so, there's a famous bit where he was in the cafe and he was getting a. I think it was a freezer taken out and he had to read the um, he had to read the serial number off the back of it and he said LCFC1997 and then later on when Claridge left Leicester he um, he, he waxed lyrical in an ad lib about uh, his friend Mr Claridge who'd had to leave 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 town to go to Wolverhampton which he had he time for Wolves so I that's never knew that why is that is it is he a Leicester fan or yes he did yeah, yeah, yeah he obviously. went to uh, Loughborough Uni I think and he ended up becoming, and he's sort of well known for going and sitting in the stands. And yeah, and so for about six months, you know, I was uh, I was with somebody who just loved Coronation Street at the time, and I would just because we we picked up the LCFC one, and then somebody referred to it. You you would hear him sort of do these little ad lib off the cuff things all the time. So yeah, so he, I, I don't know whether he might still try to sneak him sneak him in now. But there's, I went and found a Leicester City fan forum, and there's loads of little examples on there. So, right. Yeah. I, well, we're big Corey fans in my house, so I've never I've never noticed that before. So I'm going to be watching every time Roy talks now. If I get a Leicester City mention, that's a great little Easter egg there, Joel. Great bit of trivia. Um, you mentioned Claridge there. He was the man that scored the goal um, after extra time. Steve Claridge, Matthew. I'm going to come to you for this one. Don't get them like a, players like him anymore, do you? No, classic journeyman, wasn't he? Um, I mean, you caught me out there, but I mean, what what were we talking? Did he played for about sixteen clubs, didn't he, over his career? Still playing quite um, late on his career, I remember as well, into his forties, yeah. I think. I mean, in fairness, 
he obviously had something to offer because he, he went to some decent clubs. He played in the top flight. He always did a good job. For it was of a certain level of club, you could argue, wasn't it? Without without being rude or patronising, but he he found his level, and I think he he did a decent job, especially in that kind of era when the the big target man, I suppose you could say, was still quite a prominent position in football. It probably wouldn't be the case now, but um, I don't don't think you can knock his ability really I mean uh, very much a pundit now isn't he on on the radio but um, no I think I think fair play to him we'll have to look up and see it. we could probably do a whole episode on Steve Claridge I've well, just looked 90s. up 29 entries I mean he has played for a lot of the same clubs going back and forth but there are 29 different moves in his career so I think Journeyman does exactly describe his career I think the longest he stayed somewhere will looks like Portsmouth at the end of the decade into 2001. Yeah. Well, here's a question for you both. If someone said to you, Steve Claridge, what's the, what image would come into your head first? Him in what kit? Leicester with his socks down, yeah, away from goal, having scored against us in the cup final. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I think Which it'd be like Leicester. trauma therapy. What's this? Yeah, I think it'd be Leicester for me, to be honest. Leicester or Wolves, but then also... Socks in- down. Socks down, down, loves his socks down. In late in latter days, especially when he was on the first time the BBC had the the football league highlights, which they don't know. Channel Five have them now, don't they? The first time BBC had them, he was a pundit on there, and for whatever reason, he always had his be in his bonnet about QPR. I don't know what it was because we've never really had any dealings with it, and it's I'm not usually one that sits. There and, he, he never played for QPR. No, no, and I don't. Well, maybe that's why. Maybe because uh, they're the only club he didn't sign for. Probably. Well, he, has a bit of a beef with them. He seems like someone we should have signed at some point. Yeah, in, in a guys but it, I'm not well, usually one of these fans that sits there and goes, oh, this pundit hates us, blah, 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 blah. But it was really noticeable whenever we he spoke about us. He didn't really like to, to, to give us any credit and was quite derogatory about the team. Um, trying to think. He is quite, he is quite a derogatory kind of Yeah, he's quite pundit, dour, isn't he? Isn't he? I, quite, I like, quite like it in the same mould as Chris Sutton is a bit of a grumpy old git, but I quite like that. I don't like pundits to be salivating over everything and saying how great everything is. I quite like a pundit that will say something's crap or it's just just not very good and he's definitely one of the, especially on the radio when he gets a bit more freedom to to say what he believes i think he's uh i think he's worth his worth his money to be honest it's something and, uh, that graham soon says i think about he says he prefers to have the freedom of doing punditry on um, rte in ireland rather than doing yeah. it in sky well, a... no, i mean he's been on sky on the night that we're recording this he's been covering Brighton tottenham um but I think it says like he's 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 very firmly produced in uh, the United Kingdom, and and yet when you got Wyland, it's sort of a lot more loose for him to say whatever well, he wants. There's a passage in um, I think it's an Alan, well, it's an Alan Hansen anecdote. I think it's in his autobiography. Where do you remember when Sky or BSB first started getting FA Cup ties in the sort of early nineties, before yeah. they got the Premier League, nineteen ninety one, ninety two, and Hansen started doing his first sort of uh, punditry roles for them he may have still been playing or he might have just come to the end of his career and he, he was picked up as a pundit and apparently i'm sort of paraphrasing here but he was typical Al hansen slagged off a few players or moaned and said it wasn't a great game or what have you and apparently the producer took him to one side at the end of the, of the broadcast and said alan uh, what are you doing do, do you do you want to work for us and he said well yeah but it was a it was a terrible game you know it was nil nil and and they said yeah, but you can't you can't say that. You've got to tell people it was a fantastic game. And apparently, one thing led to another, and he got the hump. And he said, "Well, I don't want to work for you if you're going to tell me that." And that's how he ended up on Match of the Day because basically the Sky hierarchy were 
telling him that he's got to big everything up and say it's the greatest thing he's ever seen and he said well no I'm not going to do it and and uh, hence he didn't work work for Sky mm. again well so, that probably uh, turned out alright for him well yeah but I'm sure he probably wasn't on the wages that he would have been if, I mean if he'd stayed at Sky at this, particularly that era when they first got the, the Premier League I suppose he could have been the new Andy Gray couldn't he but fair play to him What's he's obviously he? the kind of later sacked in disgrace <laughs> with Richard Keyes yeah well <laughs> but I mean fair play to him if that's how he that's how he felt, and it's something obviously Sky are well known for doing. And if I think he was doing, way. I think Alan Hansen was doing all right on Match of the Day because Bob Mortimer is very fond of tweeting that you know him and uh, Jim Vic Reeves would would get uh, less than less for writing and performing and scripting a whole series of shooting stars than Alan Hansen would get for one edition of Match of the Day. So, you know, oh yeah, yeah, of course he was, of course he was. But it would have been easy for him just to go, oh sure, yeah, okay, I'll say it as you want it to. And I'm sure a lot of these pundits we see do do that. I'm sure they bite their tongue a lot of the time and say, oh, it's fantastic when it's not. But there's there's obviously a few pundits out there that say, no, I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to if it's going to cost me a few quid, I'll I'll stick to my guns. And I always thought that was that was quite a worthy. Uh, worthy thing for Hanson to do to be honest he was working once a week so I'm sure he was being paid sort of quite handsomely but yeah I take your point Matthew well when I went to match of the day in oh god because I did my we, we discussed this my dissertation was on television football yes, it was, yeah. and um, we went to match of the day we had uh, sausage and mash with Trevor Brookin there you go there's a story yeah well that was it really the one <laughs> I talked to him about a Manchester City versus Charlton Athletic game um and um, Alan Hansen came in. Everybody else was sat there throughout the day. Um, Gary Lineker was there. Trevor Brookin was obviously there. I can't remember. I think Garth Crooks was kicking about. And um, Damien Johnson was there. I remember talking to him. And Alan Hansen walked in at about six o'clock, watched about five minutes of highlights on a, on a screen, went, yeah, that's a goal, that's a goal. Yeah, that's a penalty. That's a sending off. And then walked off and we didn't see him again until 10 o'clock. So... So his his what you're saying is his research is about twice as thorough as yours is before recording an episode of uh, this week in the nineties. Absolutely, yeah. but I haven't got a team of researchers trying to make me look good. You see? Oh I come on, listen. you have. You don't. Well, you won't. You won't win anything with kids, will you? Let's be honest. The cat doesn't. The cat doesn't count as a researcher. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Claridge, I was just on his Wikipedia page. He was actually played a game last year. He, yeah, he, he plays, isn't he a player manager? He, he's a manager. Of, he played uh, for Salisbury on the 1st of July 2017 in a friendly against Portsmouth. Yeah, yeah there you go. he does still dabble in the uh, lower reaches, he I know that, because he, he, he mentions it on the radio sometimes when he's commentating. So, And I'm sure he still wears his socks down. I'd like to think he still wears his socks down around his ankles. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not allowed to, I'm not, not sure live, if you're allowed to do that now. But You've got to live your gimmick, haven't you? You know, Anyone in, yeah. in, in, the, rest, in the wrestling <laughs> world, they know you've got to live your gimmick. Um, anything else to add, Joel, on, on that note? Because we kind of left this one to you being at the borough. Any, anything else you wanted to say on that? Uh, another uh, fateful no, night for you, lot. Just, I, I just thought, looking back on it, we just, it was just that typical borough thing, you know, of that season that we were we were too top-loaded with the stars and relied on them too much. And um, I think we came back stronger for it, really. But, you know, but still, I think... Romario and Ravinelli would have been hell of a twosome. <laughs> that's going to be on, that's starting to get a you know, bingo card. Um, yeah, it's, it's worth noting as well that Leicester had the same team for both games as well. So it says what their schedule probably was quite a lot lighter for them at that point than it was for you guys. And even then, the squads weren't as big as they would become in in the, the latter part the, of the, the decade. The thing that 
the fixture list blew that for us that year. Because, and I've said this before, but we played Leicester and absolutely demolished them three-one at their place about two and a half weeks before the cup final. And I think if that hadn't have happened, then you know the whole history of Middlesbrough Football Club would have been different because I don't think he would have stuck Pontius Camark on Janino. Um you know, but that that is going like... to be on the bingo cards. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere, Pontus Carmart needs to get some royalties on this show because I'm sure he's yeah. getting only the mentions now on this show. That isn't that? His name's never been mentioned as much as it has no, in the last, the last few months. Well, you know, he's the Should legend. get him on? He must yeah. be on Twitter. Oh, well, we'll have to find him and get him on. We've got Nigel Spink coming on soon. I spoke to him uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's in the can for our next full-length episode, which um, I'll tell you about when I know more about it myself. Um, uh, the only thing I've got on my notes is a, a great shot at some point from Emil Heskey, a 19-year-old Emil Heskey hitting the post when we all thought... I mean, I think he still gets stick Heskey because he still had a stellar career, but at that point, I think a lot of people thought he'd go on to do a lot, be a bigger player, I suppose, but then you can't really complain at his career. Yeah. But anyway, his dad won a load of money on him, though, didn't he? He did, yeah. Have you ever his seen dad that clip on him being a full England international by the time he's twenty-one, and his dad cashed out? There's a lot of them, isn't there? Because Chris Kirkland did that, and then wasn't it recently? Was it Lewis Cook, the last England internationals? Wasn't there one? He, he had his dad yes. better as well. So yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen that clip of Emil Heskey on um, "It's a Knockout"? That's a great clip. He's only. He's You'll only. You have to post that. Ash. I've yeah. never seen that. I've, I've, I've done it before on, on here before. It's never been confirmed that it's him. Um, but it's a young lad from Leicester called Emil. Looks just like him. Um, I think he's about ten or eleven, and he's yeah, crackerjack or it's a knockout. Can't work out. I can't remember which show it is, but yeah, we'll dig it out and we'll put it back on. Did he fall? Did he fall over a lot? He well, did fall he? over a lot. I don't no, know no, what no. you're trying to suggest there at all. No, the, no, the main. No, no, no. What's his? What's Emil Heskey's middle name? Ivanhoe. <laughs> I like the Emil, way we've made something. It's Emil something Ivanhoe too, but Ivanhoe's the one that everyone Ivanhoe is, is the is the one. Go on, so that's it's a, it's a knockout and punchlines mentioned in the first fifteen minutes of the show. Yes, keeping it eighties. Yeah. Well, I had keeping to. Keeping it eighties. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're keeping it eighties. We haven't even talked about top of the pops yet. Um, but something we are going to talk about is going further. Oh no, going back actually in the decade to nineteen ninety three, the eighteenth of April, another League Cup final. Um, this is this is probably more remembered for what happened in the aftermath than the actual game itself. Although the game, looking back, when I watched it earlier, it was actually much more memorable and, and a better game than I remembered it being at the time because some of the Cup finals, as we've already discussed here, were, were, were quite dirge in, in, in the 90s, especially in the FA Cup. Um, but this is the, the Coca-Cola Cup, as it was at the time. It was Sheffield Wednesday's uh, second trip to Wembley in three years after they beat Man United uh, a couple of years before this. And it's the same team in the final they faced in the FA Cup. Cup final later on that season in Arsenal. Um, what I mean, I'd, I watched the highlights of this, and the first thing I saw on the highlights was a sort of montage of all the fa- Wednesday fans outside of of Wembley for, for another time. And the footage looks really dated to the point where I didn't actually think it was the nineties for the for a second. I were those brothers it, there? No, those brothers the bar, weren't was it there. The bar brothers? No, the bar brothers weren't there. But there were a lot of people doing something called the Waddle Wiggle. Which um, must have been something, that, you know, must have been a phenomenon in Sheffield at the time, um, due to a celebration that Chris Waddle must have done. But it was not something that twigged with me instantly. The Waddle Wiggle, and that's not hard. Is to... that when he did his Elvis thing? I think it must have been. I thought that was at Bradford, though. Maybe I've got my a bit my Chris Waddle timeline confused. But yeah, that, there's a lot of fans doing that, and they're wearing jumpers with his face on it and stuff. And there's some girls with big perms, but very nineties, brilliant. Um, but the game was actually much better than I remember. Uh, Matthew, what uh, do you, have you gone back? I mean, what do you remember about the, before we talk about the incident do you, what do you remember about the game yeah i remember it when I, when we said we were going to discuss it i remember this being a really good game and obviously you can't mention this final without mentioning the fact that they played each other in the yeah. fa cup final a couple of a few weeks later but and that was a terrible game but this one 
this one I thought was a really good game. It was helped by the fact it was, from what I remember, it was quite a sunny day at Wembley, which yeah. the League Cup final always seemed to be there. I mean, now it's almost played in pitch dark yes, at the end of January. Now, but yeah. but um, the League Cup final historically, you know, especially in the 80s and 90s, was always just a few weeks before the FA Cup final. So it was like the first real showpiece of the season, wasn't it? And, and I remember that this game being one of those. And our friend John Hark scored a bit of a cracker to put Sheffield Wednesday ahead, did he not? He did. First, uh, first yeah. American to score in a major cup final. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it set up a really good game. And um, I mean, that Arsenal team was sort of on the cusp of becoming what well, they went on to become a much better team than they were at the uh, sort of early part of the 90s. But um, yeah, good game. And then obviously, talking of it's a knockout and people falling <laughs> over and rolling around on the floor, there was that, that incident that really summed up probably Arsenal's the culture at the club at that time on the final whistle with uh, Tony Adams trying to pick up poor old Steve Morrow to swing him around and celebrate. And then 10 yards the other side of the pitch, you've got Paul Merson imitating drinking about 15 pints in three seconds, So, it, it, which I'm sure probably did happen probably mm. before the match, let alone yeah. after the game. Yeah, but, but um, Well, it was ironic as well because, of course, um, the game itself, you talk about John Harks, yes, he, he, took the, he got Sheffield Wednesday the lead with a goal in the eighth minute, but it was Merson and Morrow who actually got the goals. Merson scored yeah. in the 20th minute, uh, a deflection that were hit in the bottom corner, and then Steve Morrow's winner in the 66th minute. Uh, he was an unlikely scorer because he was not somebody you see on the goal scoring sheet very often, um, as I will go on to tell you at QPR in, in a couple of minutes. Um, but it was a good game as well. Um, Campbell hit the post. Uh, Paul Warhurst hit the post very early on during his days where he became a defender, come middle foot, come striker, and somehow made his way into the England squad. Um, Joe, uh, did you watch this back? I mean, what did, what did you remember about the game? I just yeah, just like you said, it was an entertaining game. But you know, just everybody remembers him nearly dying. I mean, and it was. <laughs> It was really that serious, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I just always thought that he just broke his arm and that was it. But he actually nearly died. This Did is right, isn't it? I'm not. I'm not <laughs> overegging the pudding. No, no, well, I, I, I don't think he nearly died. I think it was more serious than just a broken. I think for a split second, people thought he was completely knocked out, and and there was, it was serious tongue in in mouth kind of you know when they swallow their tongue and things like that. Mm. I think there were some serious concerns. Because um, there's a lot of uh, medical staff that go on the pitch as well. It's not just a, oh, I've broke my arm, it really hurts. It's a couple of St. John's blokes. There's there's a whole gabble of... of some... Yeah, because I remember in the coverage, they sort of did that thing of cutting away. They didn't really yeah. want to mention it, did they? But um, they couldn't really avoid it because it was so prominent on the, in the middle of the, the not pitch. Not that we players... got to see it. We couldn't see it because, is it Pat Rice and Martin Keon just stood in front of the whole yeah. incident? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I think yeah, I noticed that as well. And it's just, it's such a weird, awkward moment where they're all, they're obviously all waiting to go and lift the trophy. And it's almost like, like, do we still do, can we still do this? They're all kind of snarks. Sheffield Wednesday go up and get their runners-up medals. And then there's this real, even in the highlights, you can tell that there's this whole lull where people don't know if it's the right thing to do to go up. And Tony Adams lifts the cup and you can see on his face, he's still slightly sheepish that he's just dropped one of his teammates on his arm and he can't even go. Not just one of his teammates, the guy who scored the winning goal. It was about to be the best moment in his football career at that point. Um, so yeah, it's a really awkward, but one of those infamous moments of of, of the nineteen nineties and in cup finals as well. And I've, I'll post this tomorrow actually because when it's the actual date, I found the phoenix from the flames um, from Badil and Skinner. They did of this incident, and it's uh, particularly amusing in their own unique way. Um, and yes, we'll do a fancy football episode very soon. That's in the can- that's in the to do list as well. Um, I can't think of anything else like this has ever happened though in a cup final especially in the post-match celebration sorry Matthew I was going to I cut you off what were you going to say no I was just I was just going to make a cheap 
gag really and say it was good that it didn't affect his career because a few years later he went on to play for QPR <laughs> but, um, but uh, now I'm going to try and I feel bad so I'm going to try and think of a player getting injured <laughs> in I've, got some, I've got stupid injuries written down here oh I like stupid I mean I can think of Bert Troutman that's a classic one isn't it In the, he broke his neck isn't it that broke one? his neck well that's yeah. not a stupid injury no I know I'm just thinking <laughs> during the cup final but go on stupid injury sounds good uh, well obviously Rio Ferdinand who pulled the ligaments in his knee because he was too busy with his feet up playing pro evolution soccer yep. that was one when he was at Leeds David Batty bust his ankle after his daughter ran over his over it with on a tricycle um, can I guess one that? You, can I guess one that you might have on there? Go on. It's nineties based. Didn't Dave Besant drop a jar of Hellman's mayonnaise on his foot? <laughs> yes. Salad cream bottle, Salad on, and then cream. tried to control it with his yeah. foot and tore all the t- tendons in his yeah. foot. Yeah. Didn't Dave Steeman do one as well? Something to do with ice. Is that on your list? Or have I, I've just... no, I haven't got that one on my list. All right, I need to Google that. Keep I've got going. Brian Robson breaking his toe at the World Cup, tipping Gazza out of bed. Oh. Yeah, yes. And the, and the, it tipped the bed up, and then the bed came back and took his nail off, didn't it? It's yeah, funny because because um, at the time they made a big thing of it. And how it Robs? Did he miss the first couple of games, or he, he was in doubtful? And everyone, it was you know Robson injured again, but they didn't reveal how it happened. But then, obviously, in subsequent years, it it turned out it happened about two in the morning when they had a few drinks and they it's tried to. Uh, yeah, so it's funny, isn't it? You don't. As a kid, you hear these things. Oh, so and so's injured, and you just take it for you just take it at their word that they've picked up an injury in training, and then you you find out that it was actually done. I remember one of the very first United games I ever went to, uh, nineteen eighty six away at Oxford. It's Ferguson's first game in charge. And I remember stood behind the goal, and Paul McGrath was in mid- midfield, run out, and I thought, why is Paul McGrath starting for United in midfield? And people around me were saying, oh, you know, he must uh, must be carrying a knock or something, you know, all this, and then. A few years later, a few years ago, twenty odd years later, I picked up Paul McGrath's autobiography when I was on holiday. Which in Spain. is excellent. Yeah, great, yeah. Work, great read. And it and it mentions in that game that he was so pissed from the night before that Ferguson took one look at him and said, "Well, you can't play in the centre of defence. You're hammered. I'm going to have to play you in midfield." And I thought, "Is <laughs> that he was going to yeah. like oh, you're going over, so you played in midfield <laughs> like it's Sunday league?" Or something. Yeah, and I thought that was me as like a. Ten year old kid at the Manor Ground that day, all sort of like intrigued why the uh, top centre back was playing in midfield. Was it some kind of brilliant tactical genius from this new manager that had come down from Scotland? But no, it was because he was so drunk he he couldn't mark his man, so they put him in midfield. So it just goes to, <laughs> just goes to show sometimes quite an ingrained uh, drinking culture going on at United. Yeah. Well, yeah, that wasn't the only misdemeanor. If you read that book, it, you know it's stories of it, stories of him getting on the wrong plane and. All kinds of things. There's the hat trick throughout 80s mentions as well. David James one is a remote control and in in a yeah, lovely bit stretching for it. Yeah, and a lovely bit of synergy. Do you know what he was trying to record? Coronation Street. Oh, there you go. It's lovely. <laughs> it's all come um, full circle. Go on, any more you've Sant- got. Santiago Canazares, one of my favourite ever football names. Uh, name. After shave bottle on the tour. Oh. Uh, and Alan Wright. We've talked about this before, but he sprained his uh, ankle reaching for the pedals on his Porsche because he's so small. Oh. Is that a problem you have, actually? Yeah. Oh, cheeky. Cheeky, yes. <laughs> my, yeah, well, actually, my Porsche that's in, in the garage yeah. at the moment, I can't reach the pedals. It's, it's, it's one of those problems. You know, first world yeah. problems. What can you do? Um, we'll get you some platform shoes. Thank you very much. Alan Wright scored the best goal you've ever seen at uh, the Riverside, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Very good. Uh, he set himself up for the volley. I always think it was a free kick, but... Uh, it was New Year's Day and I had been drinking. <laughs> Did you been out with Paul McGrath the night before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
1992 PFA Player of the Year, Paul McGrath, bringing it back. But well, he had team. a second. He had a second win, didn't he? Because yeah, Villa. Obviously, I, I remember about United in the sort of mid, well, 84, 85, 86, and he, he never really. You know, everyone could tell he was a great defender, but never really. Oh, admittedly, United were awful then, so he probably wasn't going to do much. But um, and then when he went to Villa. I mean, he very nearly won the league with Villa, didn't he? In 90, uh, but Atkinson 92. wrapped him up in cotton wool. Like, well, he, yeah, like he, he never trained. trained. He just basically just turned up, played, and then cleared off again. He played for Ireland as well, yeah, like didn't he? King sort of at the end wasn't yeah. trained. But he was still playing for Ireland as well. He was in the 94 World Cup squad. I'm pretty sure he was in that squad as well. Yeah, well, so. that, sort of, that was his sort of rebirth, wasn't mm. it? That 92-3-4 era when... I, I couldn't tell you how... He must have been... Would he have been late twenties, early thirties? Probably early thirties. Yeah, but um, yeah. but yeah, he'd been around for a while. But he just it just sort of snapped back. It just all it all clicked for him at Villa, didn't was it? Was that that was that the Villa team that had, later on? It was Southgate, Ekiog, and him with the three at the back. Yeah, he was still there just at the Villa. He just they kind of just intertwined very quickly before. Yeah. Obviously, he was too old, and they were the young. They kind of upspurt him in the end and, and replaced him in that team. But yeah, he was still going. He was at Villa until nineteen ninety six. And then he went to Derby and Sheffield United. So he was still playing in you know towards the end of the nineties as well. Great, great, great player. He's on Twitter. I have I have annoyed him and bugged him, so hopefully we'll get him on the show very, very soon. That'll be good to hear from him. He'd be an absolutely fantastic guest, wouldn't he? Um final note on Steve Morrow that Matthew did mention. Yes, he did play for QPR in his latter days. Not fondly remembered at Loftus Road, it has to be honest. He did score on his debut, I believe, against Bolton. Pretty sure it was against Bolton, which was, again, un- unusual for him because he wasn't a goal scorer, even though we've talked about his goal in the cup final here and and him scoring on his debut. But yeah, he's not really, he didn't really set the world alight at Loftus Road. He was part of a very poor QPR team uh, under Jerry Francis the second time that eventually went down to the third tier. But yeah, of, one of those players, you never really knew his best position as well, if he was a midfielder or a defender. Yeah, so not great memories of, of Steve Morrow. Um, my abiding memory of Arsenal, though, is him getting his... Um, winner's medal in the first FA Cup game because that went to a replay as well didn't he because uh, I remember that nobody won that day because he was a draw and he was the only one who went to the Royal Box and got his medal in a, with his arm in a sling and everyone felt sorry for him but you know he had his moment in the sun in 1993 <laughs> in, in that Coca-Cola Cup final right um, we're going to move to the end of the decade now and We've got we've done a Burham, uh, little section. We're going to do a Man United section. It wouldn't be the nineties. It wouldn't be this week in the nineties if we didn't talk a bit about Man United. Um, I know we did quite a lot on a, on the show last week, but this is a very memorable game um, from that treble winning season. I'm sure we covered it, Matthew, in that treble. Um, this is the season podcast that we did, but we'll, let's focus on it slightly more now because I watched it again today, and it was another game that I forgot how brilliant it was. But I knew the sort of the storyline thread going into it. I remember it. The, the we're talking about twenty first April nineteen ninety nine, the UEFA Champions League second leg, Juventus v Manchester United in Turin, the Roy King game. This is cool, but we'll talk about Keane in a minute. The actual game though, end to end, there was so many storylines in and out of this game. It was a really proper European semi final, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it was bonkers. I actually did watch it again uh, for research purposes earlier because I was working at FHM in London during this this run. So a lot of these games I watched in some smoky bar in Soho somewhere. And uh, it was usually, even though it was the nineties, the sort of big screen football thing hadn't quite caught on, especially not in those sort of old journo pubs in London. So quite often I'd be watching these games you know, on a little TV screen in the corner of the pub somewhere. So I remember exactly where I was watching it and, and the sort of drama as it unfolded. But like you say, when I watched it back earlier on today, you don't realise what a humdinger of a tie it was. Um, obviously, it was 1-1 from the first leg. Gigs had scored a, a last-minute equaliser at Old Trafford. 
which really, in hindsight, was a poor result. I mean, now if you drew one one at home in a uh, Champions League semi-final, you'd think it was a the writing might be on the wall. And then obviously, uh, Juventus took a two-goal lead within what fifteen minutes. Zaghi scored eleven minutes. Eleven minutes. Zaghi Zaghi scored two in eleven minutes, and you, I think, Clive Tilsley on the night in the commentary said United need a minor miracle. But um, I tell you what is slightly depressing watching this is you realise how brilliant that United team were and how you just couldn't write them off and how far, far away that the United team of today is. I mean, I still know people now that go, oh, United, yeah, they'll still come back. Oh, they're 3-0 down, they'll still come back. And I always say, you don't realise how far away that United team is now from that era. When you look at that era, then you really did think they were going to come back, even if they were 2-0 down like that night. You, it was just because of the history of what they'd done over the last five, six, seven years or so. It's, it's easy to say it now in hindsight because we know they did, but you never felt they were ever out. I mean, you think about it, they were 3-1 down on aggregate and had let in an away goal. But you still thought, mm, there's something in this. And sure enough, they were level 2-2 before half-time, which is even more I forgot, That's what I forgot, that it was level at half-time. And I remembered the, the yeah. story like, the story on the game, but I forgot that it, most of it happened in the first half. Well, um, it could have been 3-3 because yep. um, obviously it was 2-0. Keane scored a brilliant... A great header. Rob, Robson-esque yeah. captain's header, didn't he? Steaming in, flicked it in. That really set the, the wheels in motion for the comeback. Pulled it back to 2-2. Juventus, I can't, I must admit, I can't remember what happened first, but then Juventus had a chance where Stam cleared it off the line. From Antonio Conte, nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and, I, and Clyde Tilsley then in the commentary says, you know, we don't know how important that could be later on. It turned out to be massively important. United hit the inside of the post up the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could have been three all going into the half time as it was it was two all and uh and then in the dying moments uh Dwight York tried to round the keeper was taken out I still wonder to this day whether the ref was going to give a penalty was, well he must have done it was a clear penalty if, if you look at it there seemed to be a you know there wasn't a whistle you don't, you couldn't see whether the referee was going to put his whistle to his lips but as it turned out didn't matter because because uh, Cole put the ball in but I mean the ultimate if you were going to do a montage of United's comeback in, comebacks in the 90s, you know, that would be one of them, wouldn't it? Because it was just such a incredible, incredible performance. And yeah. th- that's, that, a... that's without mentioning that they also had a, a goal ruled out for offside in Zaggy again. Dennis Irwin... Yeah, he, got, he, he was about... T- yeah, he, he was offside. offside. He was offside, but yeah. Dennis Irwin hit the post as Dennis well. Dennis Irwin yeah. hit the post, inside of the post again. I mean, it was just... I, I know a lot of people hated United at the time, and probably rightly so, or I can understand why they did, but... Looking at it now, so far back ago, and almost detached from it now, you, you almost think, what a what an entertaining team! It, well, you could tell me you were you were the neutrals at the time, but you know those Champions League nights on a Wednesday on ITV with Clive Tilsley commentating. It was just sort of, I don't know. It just you think it just seems like just such great entertainment. Even if you wanted them to lose, there was always a chance they would because they were so sort of kamikaze in the way they played and if you wanted them to win there was a chance they would because they were always capable of scoring goals so it's almost like the ultimate tv team weren't they for for drama and uh and an action really so this this it, game was, was was certainly that and, and obviously the main man and the, what everyone remembers is, is Roy Keane's performance who got booked when the score was two yeah two one it was which meant he missed the final and, and instead of you know sh- shirking and not playing to possibly you might imagine his potential because of he was going to miss the final he led by example and, and Joel it's one of those games where not a one man performance because obviously we've said how great the team played but Keane was inspirational in that second half wasn't he I just I've got written down Roy Keane, 2-1 header, 
takes game scruff of neck, <laughs> then takes down Zidane, yellow card, one for the team, wasn't crying like Gaza. Yeah, it's true. And I think that's yeah. I think that's probably like exactly sums it up. I mean, he does the the, the head is great. I mean, he's and it was he just battled and battled and battled and battled and 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 the way he did take down Zidane and Zidane was he, he wasn't clean through, but it was was going to be very 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 dangerous if if he had just let him pass. And I think that was kind of what Keane was all about, that growling, snapping, let's yeah. just get on with it. And if we win, we all win. I mean, he still says that he didn't win the European Cup that yeah. year. He still says that he hasn't won it. And everybody says, well, they wouldn't have got there if it wasn't for you in that Juventus game. And yeah, um, absolutely incredible powerhouse performance. There was, you know, a few things I wanted to point out. David Beckham, classic Beckham hair. Yeah, blonde highlight. Proper. This we're talking. This is height. This is like the height of the Beckham Mania kicking off, isn't it? I thought that yeah. as well. United are wearing that European kit. Of course, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's all, always time for more kits. Badge in the crest, so that's all right. Yeah. Um, it's only Borussia Dortmund who seem to do that these these days, where they release about seventeen kits a season. But yeah, the United were. I mean, I've not. Got, I've got no problem with it. More kits, the merrier. I love a football kit, but yeah, that's a special kit. That Champions League uh, one. Yeah, the event is midfield. You've mentioned Conte, which was funny, but also Deschamps and uh, Edgar David and Delivio. So that's quite good with Zidane and Inzaghi up front. I mean, that's you forget how sort of strong. Yeah. Juventus. I mean, it's it's coming out of the tail end of the Italian domination of football, and it's shifting over to the English league being the best league in the world. You know, apart from well, Peru, you know, I, well. I don't think the Spanish league is the best league in the world. I think they've got the two best, best club teams, sides in the yeah. world, but not the best. It's not the best league. Um, but yeah, what and what a stinker of a game! I thought Andy Cole had. <laughs> you know, he scored the goal at the end, but his his touch wasn't with him. He was having one of them. He was prone to he was prone to that, uh, you know. Yeah. I don't want to sound like a Glenn Hoddle, but you can't knock him for his goal scoring. But a lot of those seasons, Cole did not try to drive you mad. I mean, particularly I remember that day to buying the goal at West Ham. He yeah. uh, missed about four one on ones, and you know, he was prone to high profile bad performances that he probably didn't deserve a, a, a reputation for because he, he obviously bagged goals and, and key goals. But my God, when he when he was off form, he he didn't have let you down, you know. Yeah. He and where was where was Giggs? Because Je- Jesper Blomqvist was playing. The great that's yeah. A good question. That's a good question because Giggs has scored in the first leg, so wasn't on the bench either. Know. So there must have been an injury. He must have been injured. Yeah, yeah. If you know that, tell one. us about Jesper Blomqvist because he yeah. was another one with good hair. He was always a player that the... we were told was sort of superb, but never really. I think because probably that midfield that United was so strong, but. Uh, was he a player that you enjoyed, Matthew? Yeah, he was kind of like a. It was almost like Giggsy's warm-up man, you know. I mean, famously, famously, he played in the, this '99 season against Arsenal in the semi-final. He started instead of Giggs, which suggests Giggs would have been injured then, because if he wasn't playing in this game and was on the bench for the Arsenal game, he must have been coming back from an injury. And famously, mm. Lee Dixon said. All game, he was marking Blomqvist, and he just, you know, he he marked him well. He he kept him quiet. He didn't do anything, and then he looked over at the bench, and he just went, "Oh God!" Now they're bringing on Ryan Giggs, and, and you know, we all know what what happened when Giggs came. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, he was. He, I don't, obviously, no one thought he was ever going to be a replacement for Giggs. I think he was the that for the first of that sort of uh, the first of the sort of squad European player that we started to see towards the late nineties. 
early 2000s. We said before on this how in, in the early days of Champions League or European Cup, when English teams went back into it, they tended to just be naive and think, oh, well, we've won the league. We're just with this team. We'll just go straight into Europe and, and do the same again. And United famously got found out on a number of high profile occasions. So I think Ferguson almost learned his lesson. He tended to sign these players that he could probably bring in as a, what you'd call as impact players now. Um, we mentioned Poborski a few weeks ago, and I think he, he just liked a player that could do a job. Wouldn't necessarily be a Keane or a Beckham or a Scholes or a Giggs, but he was capable of doing a job in a in a two-legged tie or a cup tie or a replay. So yeah, he was, and he was obviously famously in that Champions League winning team. So he obviously wasn't a bad player, and I didn't drive his car either. So. No, you know. yeah, but they both played in the final, didn't they? In, in yeah, the, they played on each wing because Giggs played on the left and he played on the right, I think, I believe. Yeah, um, so, final, so. so he was ver- versatile as well. Um, he went on to play for Everton as well, not so successfully, if I remember, at Everton. But he was all, he, he was a good player for Sweden, I think he... Well, he wouldn't be the first United player to go to no. Everton and not really be, not win anything, would he? His, his <laughs> Wikipedia picture makes me laugh because there's a picture of Glundquist in, says, December 2005, but he's wearing the treble-winning shirt that someone's obviously put over him in a club or something because he's got some weird background. I just thought, of all the pictures to choose, not in his pomp, but yeah, some picture in some sort of weird, somewhat, looks like it's got plants in the background. Check it out on Wikipedia, but it's a very odd picture of Jesper, Jesper, Jesper Blomquist. Um, but yeah, Roy Keane was the hero. Uh, Conte, you mentioned there, always reminds me of the little troll thing in the labyrinth, and he's still looking like him in this, uh, even in his younger days as well. No, is it a troll labyrinth? What, do you know what I mean? mean? Yeah, is it a yeah. troll? I don't mean that derogatory. That's what he was, wasn't he? Or something like that. But yeah, that's what he always reminds me of, um, Anthony Conte. But that was... Um... Sorry, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm just... Can you eat this cat? Uh, I heard so. Yeah, I did hear something in the background there, yeah. Now he's not going to talk, you see, just because he's being a div. He's just been <laughs> meowing for the last 10 minutes, and then when I go up to talk to him, no meows. No, he wants he to talk about... His second appearance on AK9, yeah. Archie, but now it's not happening. No, he wants to talk about Juventus May United, but I think we've talked all we can on that. Um, the only thing, other couple, I've got a couple of nibs I wanted to mention. Uh, we put this on Twitter earlier, actually, and it's got, it's been quite popular today. We've done a bit of a Sid Lambert with our tweet today. Um, looking back at uh, one of the best goals of the 90s that no, I think why the tweet's done so well people don't really remember this goal it was goal of the season in 1994 um, the great Rodney Wallace who I know Sid loves because whenever we've done underrated 11s or talked about players Wallace always comes up to him and the Wallace brothers um, I don't know if you guys have seen this tweet earlier but do you remember this goal Joel come to you first the, the Rod Wallace goal against Spurs very very vaguely but I'm not the one to comment on it I think <laughs> I think you better go elsewhere for that, Ash, seeing as you just flung it at me. Oh, sorry about that, sir. But, Matthew, we were talking right. about it earlier. Go, on, go ahead, talk about yeah, well, Wallace. Yeah, pr- brilliant goal, wasn't it? He picked up the ball deep in his own half, beat about know, six, seven players. And uh, it was, well, you know, we, we discussed players before at Ellen Road, beat about six or seven players and then stick it in the net. <coughs> that Roy Wegley. Didn't, didn't, yeah. yeah, didn't Roy Wegley score yeah, a goal? I don't think it was. I don't think it. Well, I think this one was better. Ooh, he covered more ground, didn't he? Wigley just took it past the same player about six times. Oh, he's an away think, player, though. At home, you know, this is the home yeah, ground. You may maybe yeah. more room. I don't know. The finish. All right, yeah. Rod Wallace. The finish is slightly more. Uh, it's slightly better. The nice curl yeah. to, the, to the bottom corner. It was a yeah. It was a it was a great finish because if he got that far and blazed over the bar, it would have been yes. he would have been gutted. What what strikes me about the goal is I asked you earlier when it was what season it was. We talked before about the difference between the first division and the Premier League and everyone says, oh, yeah, yeah. Premier League came along and everything was all shiny. And it, 
But you look at this, and this could easily be 1989, 90 yeah. for all I remember, because Ellen Road is exactly the same. That Leeds team is pretty much the nucleus of the team that won the league a few years before. Yeah, Rod Wallace was obviously a huge part of that. And off the top of my head, I bet a lot of the Leeds players are probably still the same. I bet Gary Speed. Carl, Gary yeah. Speed, yeah. Carl, Carl Shutt was probably there. Uh, I can't, uh, John Lukic. A lot of those. And, and the Tottenham team as well were probably pretty similar. So it's just funny how you can think that a switch was flicked in 92 and the Premier League came along and it all changed but you watch it get a, a clip like that and it makes you think actually it did take a while for this big new new ball game as we were promised to to kick in didn't it because it and it had a muddy pitch as well which was always which you don't see now and was a sign of the, the times but um yeah that was the first thing that struck me was I couldn't work out when it was because it just it looks it looked more late 80s than mid 90s but maybe that was just the quality of the uh of the video I was watching and, on and the goal flashing um, Gary McAllister of course is in that team you mentioned as well yeah. um, the goal graphics the font is very um, early 90s late 80s as well but it's two two great kits as well that Leeds United kit with the Thistle band across the middle the yellow and blue band and that Tottenham yellow kit with a weird pattern I think it's Umbro um, two great kits um, in that one the only other thing I was going to mention um, Joe I am going to throw this at you because you're a TV man it's Sean oh, here we go. it's Sean Bean's birthday today so happy birthday Sean Bean now for anyone who thinks Sean Bean they probably think of Game of Thrones uh, Bond maybe to me he's When Saturday Comes he's Jimmy Muir do you remember that film When Saturday Comes I, I absolutely we discussed this the other day didn't we the, the, the fact that it's there was a sort of fashion for football films in the 1990s I mean obviously When Saturday Comes was there it wasn't Emily Lloyd in it as well yes she's a girlfriend yeah. in it she is yeah, I, I, was, I was in that film oh hello well, I was oh, actually yes the, the, oh, I, yeah, I think you mentioned this before didn't you I was they. I, United had Sheffield United away on a Monday night cup tie in ninety four five season, and at half time they got. I don't think it was Sean Bean, but they got a number of actors to come on and take a few action shots of and penalties and, and what have you. And they, the public address guy announced that they were filming some film and they wanted everyone to get involved. It was down the other end because we were in the away end, but at the time everyone just thought, oh yeah, what's this rubbish? You know, it's some kind of public information film or something. But it actually was the action shots for when Saturday comes. So yeah, you know, also claim... happened at, at Goodison Park for uh, was it was it what was when Sylvester Stallone turned up at Goodison Park? Were they doing stuff for Rocky then? Was it filmed there? I thought he just turned up on a jolly. Was they actually filming? Yeah, stuff? he he got, he got involved with Everton, didn't he? He, he was doing some filming, uh, and he sort of adopted the club, and they invited him along as a, a sort of adopted fan. But did, yeah, did he not get involved with the? Because Tony Bellew was involved in the filming of a. I'm, I'm terrible with films, was but there was a... Part, was it part of Rocky... Oh, was it part of Creed? They were filming part of Creed. Maybe it was there. Creed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was it. Yeah. yeah, and he was like an advisor, wasn't yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a whole thing about celebrities turning up at matches that we could do. Yeah. Oh, we'll yeah. do it. I'm just looking at the trailer for when Saturday comes. Pete Pothelwaite is in that, the late great yeah, Pete Pothelwaite. Yeah, he's, he's basically, Jimmy gets... Doesn't Jimmy have a... Go on, he's meant to go and play Sunday League one day, but he goes out on the Saturday night instead and gets... Yeah, they go to, he went to have a trial for United, as in Sheffield United, um, and then yeah, he has he goes on a bender and doesn't get it. But he, I mean, it is ridiculous because even in this film, he's probably what late twenties, and he somehow gets a trial and ends up playing for Sheffield United. I mean, it's pro- proper Royal Raver stuff. I love it, but it's proper proper cheesy. And I've also was it's, it, not, it's not it? the main thing that I think about with Sean Bean, though. It's obviously the main thing we would think about would be that 
Premiership advert of for course, Sky yeah, Sports yeah. with uh, strings. Springs for Yasmin by Tintin. Out there you go. Oh, there's there's a good mention. Yeah, <laughs> of course that advert. It's, it goes without saying. I was merely talking from an acting point of view rather than an inspirational Sky advert um, that I that I had forgot that I'll put on the Twitter feed as well. Um, <laughs> no, I'd never forget that advert. It's the words of that speech are actually written in the Alive and Kicking book. So go on Amazon and get that for yourself. Um, <laughs> it's also got the um, I think he's the barman in Hollyoaks. I've just seen them in the trailer. Who bit of a random appearance there? I could be wrong, but it's just flash forward. What Sean Bean in Hollyoaks? No, the it, the body, the guy. Oh, I can't remember his name. So I don't ever really watch Hollyoaks. But a guy, I think he was. Oh, born. I know what you mean. Yeah, the Scottish guy. Yes, who runs the it. dog in the pond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Name, I think he's. Yeah, United, I, I think he's United's the Sheffield United's manager in um, when Saturday comes. But Darren so Osborne's dad. I've forgotten. He's, he's, he's whatever Osborne he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been I in know. it for years. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, was that film? A, it wasn't. Was it a cinema film? Was it a straight to video? Yeah, it cinema. Called then? cinema was it? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I saw it on video, VHS, as it was then. But yeah, I think it went out in the cinemas. Because I remember it being a bit of a. I always remember it being a bit of a laughing stock, but maybe I was a bit bit harsh on it. But it, 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 it just no, looked it is a terrible. Stock, quali- yeah. It just looked terrible quality from what I remember. I really oh, it's a terrible like. From a, you know, from if you look at it from a film study point of view, it's terrible. But I. It was it. meant to be. I think it was meant to be sort of Saturday night and Sunday morning, but at a football ground. That was essentially yeah. what it was meant to be. And but Saturday night and Sunday morning is really, really good. And when Saturday yeah. comes. Isn't so good. <laughs> no, maybe we'll do. Maybe we'll do a show on, on, on go delve into when Saturday comes, or or maybe my summer with the Dez, which is one of my favourite. Although that fever was a pitch, fever. We could do yeah, definitely book and film. Uh, so much we mm. haven't covered that we will still do here on Alive and Kicking. Um, would feel, fever pitch would not that be an eighties? The sure. film came out in the nineties though, so we could yeah, uh, uh, the uh, Colin Firth, the Colin Firth, which is uh, great, fair which is a great, a great um, adaptation. Um, the American uh, one's the not book that came bad. Came out either. in ninety-two as well. Yeah, the books in in my book again, cheap plug. Um, for Alive and Kicking, the ultimate guide to 90s nostalgia. Um, well, this has been Alive and Kicking this week in the 90s. Um, as per usual, your weekly dose of 90s goodness. And I've been Ash Rose. My cohort's here. Where can you find them on Twitter, I hear you ask? Let's ask them. Joel's not in Twitter, Joe, anymore. He's very much alive and kicking. Where, he? Uh, where can they find you, Joel? Uh, at Joel, baby. Herc, all one word. Come and say hello. It might get a bit tasty over there lately because obviously Borough are pushing for this playoff spot. Where the hell have Millwall come from? <laughs> they, they, haven't, they haven't lost in 17 we've I know got them next week. we've got them next weekend yeah so that'll be fun my brother-in-law got... is in cloud cuckoo land at the moment he is, he is dreaming of Wembley and I saw them play QPR and, over Christmas and it was one of the worst games of football ever seen so I don't know how they've managed it but well done to Neil Harris um, Matthew where can people find you on the social well, when I'm not driving Graham Murty's car <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Matthew J Christ brilliant well thank you very much gents um, we always say there's not much to talk about and yet we've gone almost an hour but so yeah we've gone off on plenty beautiful tangents as well um this has been this week in the 90s i've been ash rose follow me at ash rose uk but more importantly follow the show at ak 90s where you'll see the trailer for when saturday comes go on, go look at it it's terrible um and until next time keep it 90s Alive and keep-